When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Uh, we haven't spoken in a while, Chris. Good morning and good to speak with you again. Uh, you're aware of the research from the UK, and I think you're not particularly surprised by it. Good morning. Uh, yeah, good morning, PJ. No, I'm not in the slightest surprised. Um, in fact, um, the situation in the UK and Ireland diverged significantly around about 2000 uh, and in the year or two after that because Tony Blair and Frank Dobson, his Secretary of State for Health, decided to really uh, target the problem with waiting times. When I was a young consultant in, in the Royal Liverpool in the early 90s, we would regularly have 50, 60, 70 people on trolleys. We're talking about 1994, 96, and people waiting for 6, 12, you know, 16 hours and longer just to get into the hospital. So this problem has been around for 25 years, and it existed on both sides. Uh, but in 2001 or thereabouts, Tony Blair, uh, as I say, threw an awful lot of resources at it. He imposed sanctions on chief executive officers of hospitals and their medical directors, and he uh, issued an edict that all patients had to be out from the emergency department within about four hours. And as I say, he resourced that, uh, that instruction, that edict. And as a result, their waiting times basically uh, collapsed. Mm. Uh, and they were getting 90% of their patients uh, in and out of the department within four hours. And that was a, an enormous blessing to the staff and the patients. And I must say, I looked you know, with great envy uh, across the Irish Sea at the situation there as we got worse and worse year, year on year. And how did he do it, Chris? Was it simply money, more well, doctors, first of all, more nurses? He, as I say, he imposed sanctions. He said, uh, basically, the chief executive officers were, would be either dismissed or punished or penalised if their hospital failed to, to perform. He uh, resourced the situation so that more staff, more nurses and more doctors and more consultants were appointed. Uh, And as I say, there was a a general uh, instruction to the hospital, the corporate hospital, that the problem in the A&E department was not just a problem at the the back door, that it was was the responsibility of all parts of the hospital. Uh, And of course, as you'll know, this is something that we've been uh, trying to persuade people about for for, for decades now, that, you know, if your emergency department is chock-a-block, it's not just the responsibility or the problem or the, or the fault of those within the emergency department, that it's, it's, it's as much to do with the fact that there aren't people being processed and discharged up in the wards mm. as anything else. Yeah. I mean, after five o'clock, everybody comes in through the ED. And if you take the COH and the Mercy, of which you're both uniquely familiar, having worked in both, everybody comes in through the emergency departments, even if they have a, are having ongoing treatment, say, for kidney problems, for cancer, for anything. They all come in through ED after five o'clock. That doesn't help. No, yeah, and that's, that's another cause. That's a major cause of the problem. 
Um, Basically, what you're talking about is the fact that uh, in 2022, the emergency department is increasingly the only portal of access. It's the only way in to the hospital for patients in the community. 30 years ago, the general practitioner could ring his colleague, the surgeon or physician in the hospital, and explain that he had what sounded like or looked like an appendix or an, an early heart attack, and the patient would be referred directly to the medical ward or the surgical ward or to an outpatient clinic. That's now um, dwindling. That, that capacity has dwindled, and now almost everybody is pitching up to the emergency department because it's being seen not just as a place for emergencies, in other words, unforeseen crises and injuries, but also a place where you can have your blood tests and your scans. In other words, you can be processed. And that, is, that has been a disaster. That idea that we'll just get you to the a department because they'll process you and tidy you up and make you fragrant and put, an, uh, put a, you know, a ribbon around your, your chart uh, and present it neatly to the in, in, in-house teams. That's been a disaster because, as I say, it, it means that it's become a self-perpetuating uh, uh, idea mm. that everybody should come through the emergency department. But, of course, it's, it's m- almost the main cause of overcrowding, the fact that it is the only port of entry. Yeah, I mean, if you look back to the old accident and emergency, you would see people, Chris, I'm sure in your time as a consultant, you would have seen many people presented to you for treatment who you would treat as a doctor and your colleagues would treat as doctors and nurses. They were neither an accident nor an emergency. Precisely. And I used to uh, I mean, a, a touch of black humour, as you can imagine, PJ, is essential if you're working in an emergency department. And I used to say that people kept coming to the butchers and looking for a loaf of bread. In other words, it said in a big red sign outside the department, emergency. And yet people would come in and say, I've had this tattoo, I'd like it removed, or I've had this rash for seven months, could you do something about it? Or, I've, you know, or, or in other words, similar long-standing issues that were not emergencies and that were certainly not unforeseen were pitching up to the emergency department and looking for the therapy. And what they would say when I said, well, I'm sorry, the, the bakery is next door, they'd say, well, my, my buddy, my cousin, my uncle, my, my granny ha- ha- was treated for exactly the same thing in the department. And people, the staff just gave up trying to resist that, you know, uh, popping demand for you know mm. what, what we call a and d anything and everything yeah. and again it's the other that's the other cause of the problem is that people you know they, they really think that the emergency world is for anything and everything and yeah. it shouldn't be mind you mind you they, they they do that in the uk as well and and they did still solve the pro- the problem uh, one personal observation was i i presented myself one night to, to a hospital in london i knew i wanted to see a doctor i was nothing like an emergency but I was sent in the front door, I was triaged, and the guy who triaged me said, there you are, corridor two, you'll be seen in about an hour. I was in there equivalent of South Dock, inside in the hospital. Perfect system. Yes, and that's, in, that's one of the many, many, there are many solutions, PJ, and many, many solutions that have worked uh, and all the, uh, the, the, the Department of Health or the HSC need to do, as I keep saying, I keep harping on, is come and talk to us at the front line. Uh, I, you know, there are wonderful examples, for example, during the cyber attack in the HSC of staff coming up with solutions to the crisis. And you'll find that in the hospital, uh, in, in, in the hospitals and the community health service, is that the staff themselves on the ground are wonderful at coming up with the innovative solutions. For example, like, like putting a, a sort of South Dock uh, service in next door to the emergency department. Now, do you know what's an awful thing to see, Chris, and again, I'm sure you've seen it in your time, is to see an elderly person in particular whose chronic illness 
has come back to affect them as it can at one or two o'clock in the morning. And what you see in their eyes is fear. You don't see the pain of the illness. You see fear that they're going to be sitting there for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. Because that's the only place to go. What do we do to stop that happening? Oh... I mean, you're basically describing the the scenario which great, most upsets me. My own my my own dear mother, uh, in her early nineties, ended up in in the emergency department in CH with her fractured hip, and so I mean I'm very very much aware of that. And of course, I have so many friends whose whose mum and dad end up in overcrowded emergency departments, and it's very much at the top of my frontal lobe, at the you know the very front of my thinking when I'm when I'm fretting and worrying and, and talking about overcrowding. That is the is the key scenario, the elderly, distressed, frightened patient uh, who is stuck in the middle of a noisy sort of war zone uh, at times uh, waiting for someone and not knowing what's going on because it's a totally inappropriate uh, scenario to be in, in the middle of, 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 of mayhem on a, on, on a Sunday morning at 2 o'clock. One of the solutions, and again, uh, it, it is emerging in Cork and it's emerging in Dublin, and as I say, PJ, Notwithstanding all the stuff that I'm talking about, which is just a description of the problems, we are constantly fixing these problems. And I am incredibly proud of the innovation that goes on in our EDs mm. everywhere in the country. So one of the solutions to that particular scenario is the development of, of, care, of elderly emergency departments. And we have the, the, that service is now uh, there in St. Vincent's, courtesy of a, of a Cork-trained consultant. And it is, it's evolving in, in CUH, where there are, are, there's a designated facility uh, with four, five, six uh, um, cubicles uh, that are specifically designed to reduce distress to the elderly, to the frail, to perhaps people with, with early dementia. Uh, and again, it, it, it's a way forward. It just needs to be resourced and to, to, to be grown. Mm. I think what I'm hearing, Chris, from yourself and all the experience that you have and you're thinking, I'm sure, of colleagues like Jason Vandeveld and, and Connor DC, colleague, colleagues of yours past and present. I think what I'm hearing from you is, listen to us. We know what to do. Equip us and we'll fix it. Yeah, and I was very gratified to hear Paul Reid actually say uh, as much uh, when he was talking about the response to, to COVID in the first few months. And he was talking about some of the hospitals, uh, for example, the Rotunda being so agile and, and innovative uh, and you know, uh, you know, responsive to the, to the crisis. So uh, I, I'm hoping uh, that, that you know, the fact that the staff on the ground, be it in maternity, be it in care of the elderly, be it in diabetes or be it in emergency medicine, the staff nearly always have the solutions. They just have to be listened to. And are there things from the last two years, are there things learnt in the last two years that could be applied to sorting this out? Well, I think that's the number one thing. You know, I mean, you, most of the changes, and many of you will have seen the remarkable changes in the Mercy and CUH in the last two, uh, two, two, two years in terms of separate separation of spaces. I mean, we now have two extra sort of uh, small buildings outside the Mercy Emergency Department, which are uh, designed for ambulatory, in other words, people who can walk in and walk out. Uh, and much of that is run by the advanced nurse practitioners. You know, I'm a massive fan and champion of nurse practitioners. These are the autonomous uh, doctor level nurses who uh, can see and treat uh, extremely well a, a huge slice of, of the pie of, of emergency department work. Uh, and they're, they're leading the way there in the Mercy and CUH. Uh, also, you'll have seen the sort of triaging, the streaming, what's called streaming. Uh, it began with kind of COVID, non-COVID, but I, I, I think that will continue. You'll see people, for example, you'll see streaming to the new pediatric, the children's facility, which is evolving in, in CUH uh, about 
just near where the old eye casualty used to be uh, or the old outpatient clinic so there's going to be a very swanky new paediatric facility there care of the elderly in the emergency department is, is drifting again t- towards the inner part of the hospital but it's still connected um, and people will be streamed to the children's area to the care of the elderly area to the ambulatory area for the nurse practitioner and so on so streaming is, is, is one way of, of, of literally streamlining and in, in enhancing you just staff all that though you have to staff all that, and basically, at the end of the day, PJ, I mean, I can talk about uh, innovation and, and thoughtfulness and, and so on, but it always has to be resourced. Mm-hmm. Chris, today is the 2nd of February. It's Groundhog Day. You and I have been having these conversations on and off the air for the damned part of 20 years. We ever seen into it? Um, I... I've been reading. Uh, I've been reading the literature, the, the medical journals, uh, recently in, in, in preparation of a, of, a, of a big lecture I'm giving soon. And you know, if you look at the the, the, the medical journals from the 90s, the 70s, the 50s, the 1890s, the, it was ever thus. So the battle to provide healthcare is a bit like the war on poverty or the war on disease. Uh, it will always be with us. You know, the poor will always be with us. The people who are in need of health care will always be with us. And the problem, the demand will always, I think, be greater than, than, than what we can provide. But not, nonetheless, we have to keep looking at models of better care all around the world and keep looking for ideas, because that's how our health service has evolved. And I, I, again, I, I must say to you, PJ, you know, you, you have to just look at the facilities now in St. Mary's and Grona Broca with the team there run by, you know, with Sister Nula Cullen. You've got to look at the facilities of Mercy, the brand new department that we opened about uh, 12, 14 years ago, plus the additions, uh, the new department that keeps uh, evolving uh, organically uh, at CUH. And that, of course, is the way. I mean, I remember going as a young consultant to, to, uh, to, to Europe to look at their emergency departments and being mesmerized by the facilities in, in, in Belgium, which look like, you know, their hospitals look like like lego buildings because they're designed to constantly expand little bricks uh, every two or three years are added as resources and needs where uh, where is sorry to cut across you where is the global gold standard at the moment there there isn't one there isn't one because uh basically uh i mean because what happens is you get leadership popping up you know you get the great heart transplant surgeon in papworth for example and he or she transforms the care there and becomes it becomes the very best. But the, the issue is you don't have these leaders, you know, in the tens of thousands. You only have individual leaders who are brilliant innovators and so on, and teams gather around them organically over 10, 20 years. So I suppose if I was to be a bit glib, I'd say from our point of view, uh, I, I would hope that we, we don't imitate or emulate the American model, because if you don't have insurance there, you are in terrible, terrible trouble. I think probably the model I would, I would want to imitate is the Australian model. Uh, and, uh, and as I, I said to you before in the past, you know, we have a great friend of ours uh, in, in, in just outside Melbourne who has umpteen Irish doctors at consultant and non-consultant level working with him. And he, has, he doesn't even know how many consultants he has. He has a department that's much, roughly the size, I think, of uh, the Mercy, possibly. And he has about 25, 26 consultants and umpteen junior doctors. So, you know, again, they have extraordinary resources but but here's the thing uh, PJ maybe to leave with you know he keeps telling me that the doctors and nurses are not necessarily that much happier notwithstanding the amount of resources because you know the more you you know if you build it they will come I suppose is, 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 is the summary yes Yes, the, the anything and everything syndrome, it doesn't just happen here. Chris, appreciate your time as always that's uh, Dr. Chris Luke, consultant in emergency medicine, his book
is a worthwhile read for any of us interested in our health system, where it has gotten things right, where it has gotten things wrong. Chris's book is called A Life in Trauma and one of the best reads of 2021. Quartz 96 FM. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.